All right, guys, welcome back to another edition of Texans Unfiltered, a Houston football podcast for your Houston Texans. I am young Ari Gold, and I have my friend and co-host, the Garnet Texan, John Wade, with us. And John, this is a special edition as we didn't record Monday uh, because I, I think there's a couple reasons. One, I still think that the the playoff loss and the manner it happened is uh, causing a, a big riff in the Texans uh, fandom and Texans Twitter. And uh, on top of that, there's really just no news. So unless we just talked about how the Colts lost, which is great, right? But so now we we have Derek Klassen from Football Outsiders joining us, and he's going to give us his perspective on the Texans season. So Derek, thank you for for joining us today. And uh, we really appreciate it. If you want to do a quick introduction to yourself and kind of what you do for Football Outsiders. Yeah, uh, first off, thanks for having me on, guys. I uh, always appreciate it. Um, yeah, so I write for Football Outsiders primarily. I do their film room. Obviously, you know, Football Outsiders is known for DVOA and a number of other stats, but I do kind of their X's and O's for them. So, Sweet. Well, cool. Well, you're a, you're a great follow on Twitter. Um, you th- That's where I found you, and then I started to read your writing or your articles, and then uh, you actually wrote a really good article on Deshaun earlier in the season. I think it was week seven or week eight. Maybe have, I think I maybe think it week was like six, week five, because it was like right after they were like one and three or one and four or something, and I was like, "This is going to be fine." Like Deshaun Watson's really good was basically the basis of my article. Okay, and and that's always a good article for any Texans fan when anybody <laughs> <laughs> when anybody just says Deshaun's going to be fine, it seems like everybody calms down. But um, so based on you know outside of that article, and, and you know we talked you know prior to recording, you, you're pretty versed in Texans and. You're very versed in the personnel and the schemes and things like that that teams are doing. But what was your overall impression of the Texans season as a whole? And, you know, what did you take away from it? Um, I, I think one thing that was, like, a, a big problem for the Texans, uh, particularly their offense, was, like, in theory, they had a fine offense for Deshaun Watson. Like, you obviously have New Hopkins, who was healthy for most of the year and stuff. So that that wasn't really an issue. Um, the offensive line was bad, but we all know Deshaun Watson to be a guy who, um, I mean, he's very good on the move. He's very good as a scrambler. He's pretty good under pressure. So even though the Texans offensive line was, like, particularly bad, he can kind of get away with it the same way the Seahawks can with Russell Wilson. Um, but the bigger problem to me was, like, not having guys like Will Fuller and at uh, certain points in the season, Kiki Kuti, um, because what they did for the offense in stretching defenses horizontally and vertically, I think was really, really important to the way that Deshaun Watson likes to play. I think it was really important to the way they like to go to empty. I think it was important to the way that they like to do some of their like seven protection dropbacks um, and just have Watson hit fuller deep um, and really force defenses to respect that. So like when those parts of the offense were out, you kind of saw Bill O'Brien struggle to make up the ground, which makes a lot of sense because when you only have one really good receiver in Hopkins and a bad offensive line, it can get very hard to concoct an offense. And, I, you know, we all saw that in the playoff game versus, uh, versus the Colts. So I think that was their biggest downfall throughout the season. Obviously, they got away with it because Kuti was healthy for certain points and Watson was just kind of fantastic. But, um, I mean, I think overall it was it was a fine season. I think... Um, I think probably my last takeaway was just that Bill O'Brien is kind of, he seems like the baseline of what coaching is kind of like what we did to Andy Dalton forever. Like he's not (laughs) really, he's not really like, uh, he's not really a clear positive for your team, but it's kind of hard to say that he's like doing anything bad. He's kind of just there, which honestly, given the current uh, crop of most NFL coaches is probably actually puts him above average, but, um, yeah, that, that would probably be my, my last I got a me. quick question for you. No, let's just start it off with Bill O'Brien. Kind of my impression of him is he's about as good as the offensive talent that he has around him. If he has better offensive talent, he, of course, I mean, you can say that with most coaches, but looking at his schemes and how he schemes to Deshaun's strengths, he's not bad at putting together an offensive scheme. However, I'm asking you for this to see just kind of like your opinions, if you disagree with me or if we're kind of, Right, right. Um, train of thought. He's not bad at putting together schemes, but he maybe is not so good at putting together tempo and probably not the best at self-scouting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because you saw, I mean, even in the last playoff game, like 
obviously the Colts have a good run defense, but they threw what forty nine times yeah. and only ran the ball like twelve, um, not including some of like Watson scrambles. So they they ran a little bit more than that with his scrambles, but still that would have been over like I mean close to sixty dropbacks. Like even if you're pressing, like that's just a really bad game plan. And and Bill O'Brien can kind of get into the habits of that where he was actually doing the opposite even earlier in the season, where he was just kind of slamming Lamar uh, Miller's head into the wall. When you have a very good quarterback, and at the time, you know, maybe Kuti was healthy and, and or maybe they were playing an inferior defense and they didn't need to slam Lamar Miller's head into a wall. Um, and then another thing is, like, it, it also seemed like Bill O'Brien, his only um, – you mentioned, like, tempo and, like, uh, self-scouting and stuff and maybe not knowing how to get out of a funk. It seemed like the only way he knew how to do that was like, oh, well, we got to run Archery with Deshaun Watson. And like that was their only fix to like the offense kind of being dead. And so I think that was a little bit of a problem. But I mostly agree that uh, Bill O'Brien is a guy who is pretty much as good as whatever you put around him, which I mean, there's plenty of coaches that have uh, a stacked offense and can't put anything together. Like, I mean, Ben McAdoo, what he did with the Giants the past few years was noticeably worse than what Bill O'Brien's done. Um, So for Bill O'Brien to at least, you know, be as good as the talent, I think it is fine. But yeah, he definitely leaves um, something to be desired in terms of like self-scouting and stuff, like you said. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, Texans fans and Texans Twitter, when when we lose in the way that we did against the Colts, it's all Bill O'Brien. And when we win, it's all Deshaun Watson. There's never a happy medium. And re-watching the Colts game, uh, I put – a lot. I, I honestly, I would say I'd put seventy five percent of the loss on Deshaun. I think it was his worst game as a quarterback, um, not just in the NFL, but in college and high school. You know that whole like that whole narrative was started this week that he hasn't or that week that he hasn't lost a game by more than seven points since his sophomore year in high school, and you know all the great narratives that get you clickbait articles and things like that, but. Uh, I, I think Deshaun was the most responsible for the loss. He had so many missed throws. It's like he forgot his mechanics, didn't step into him, didn't step up in the pocket, was thrown to the ground. I mean, what did you see from Deshaun? And then on top of that, what did you see from the Texans in the Colts game? And if you were to, if you were to break down the percentages of of why we lost, you know, defense, O'Brien, Deshaun, like where would you where would you place those? Uh, Deshaun Watson definitely, uh, did not have his best day. Um, I'll kind of get into why that was not allowed to happen in in a minute. But, um, I mean, like you said, like Watson was kind of forgetting some of his mechanics. He was just missing, like flat out missing some throws that he just normally doesn't miss. Like he's actually a really good underneath passer and like to the short side of the field, um, you know, like throwing quick outs and stuff. And he was just like throwing some of those in the dirt, which he normally doesn't do. Um, so that was frustrating. It seemed like he was a little bit more rattled than he might normally be, um, which, I mean, that also might just happen when you're dropping back 55 times in a game. Um, but another problem, and I had tweeted about this, was that when you have – so to start with, the Colts are a very good defense in terms of defending against, uh, like, vertical passing. Like, they don't allow explosive plays. That was kind of one of the things. Like, they just played two deep shells, and they're just like, you're not going to get behind us. And so when you have – um Deshaun Hopkins or uh DeAndre Hopkins is your only like main receiver he's not necessarily someone you want stretching down the field all the time because he can do everything else um and so when he's your only vertical threat obviously they're going to key on that and they didn't have anybody else that can do that and they also really have anyone who can spread the defense horizontally because Kuti um was he out yeah, Kuti was out, and then that's what I thought. Yeah, Kuti was out, and no, then Kuti, Will Fuller, obviously. Kuti played against the Colts in the playoffs. What he did? Yeah, he had uh, he had eleven receptions, one hundred and ten yards. Oh, okay, no, no, no. I'm, got yeah, I was, and Kiki. I was like, yeah, I was. Yeah, you had Fuller and Kiki backwards. It's all right, no worries. Yeah, we all um, did. Fuller was out, and Fuller couldn't stretch the defense vertically at all. Well, because he's not there, and when you can't stretch that defense vertically. Like, you can't even test them. You can't even try them. They're just going to sit back on everything and sit on everything, kind of like the Chargers did to Lamar Jackson. Um, and that was kind of, I think, their biggest problem. Um, and then you compound that on the fact that Watson obviously had a very bad day, wasn't very good under pressure, um, wasn't accurate. Even in the few chances that he was getting opportunities to throw good passes, he just – it was like – it was the worst, like, 
It was the worst combination of Watson having a bad day and everything around him going wrong. And I believe, and Hopkins had also got hurt like right before the half or something like that. Um, and so then not him having him healthy for the rest of the game, I think also was a big problem. Because if you can't even throw to your number one and you don't have anybody else, there's, what are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah. I think with DeAndre being hurt in his shoulder, um, I think it was at the, like in the middle of the second quarter, that definitely doesn't help, especially when you take away your security blanket. And then when you have a rookie wide receiver in Vincent Smith, replacing will fuller even though he's fast it, it's the the part of will fuller that people don't talk about is the route running that will fuller actually brings he's absolutely a, he's a stellar route runner um i and, mean that's why he gets open deep that's why deshaun jackson did for um for so long i mean he's obviously just fast but the way he can so subtly um force you to bend outside just a little bit so he can take off without contact that type of stuff is is super important that smith just didn't show it and they had I think they targeted Smith on like maybe the first drive. They targeted him deep, and it didn't work. And after that, it was like, well, that's it, guys. I guess we can't even try. It's over. Yeah. And after that, it kind of just spiraled out of control. Yeah, and, and you know, when – you know, I, I don't know. I think a lot of what happened against the Colts was just accumulation of things. But when you just look at Deshaun and what he's done throughout his career as a, as a – just college and NFL, he's always been – when the moment is big, Deshaun is bigger. And that's another narrative coming into the game to go along with the never lost by seven points. And it's like, okay, here's, here's, here's what he says he's been waiting for his entire life. He even says it in a press conference the week prior to the Colts game. This is what I've made for. And then when the light shines bright, he actually shrinks, which is not what we're used to. Um, but I, I think also the defense definitely played a part in the first half. I mean, when you give up 21 points – that quickly, I think it was three consecutive or it was two consecutive drives on four. Uh, basically, both of them were six and a half minutes long. But um, it, it's just it's crazy to me that the Texans fans will blame Bill O'Brien for this loss when, if you actually look at the film, it tells you a completely different story. The game plan was there; it just wasn't executed properly. And there wasn't a whole lot for o'brien to have done i mean maybe he could have you know you could you could go back and nitpick some things but it's like his his number one receiver gets hurt like halfway through the game so you can't even really just like uber target him and target him a million times qt really only can like attack in the short area and be like a yards after catch guy and then when you have vincent smith as your only guy pressing down the field that takes away so much of what you want to do because now you can't attack the down the field the way that you want to because you can't really just do those seven-man protections and have Vincent Smith run by everybody, especially against, like I said, a defense that was very good at pre uh, preventing explosive plays. And then I don't think they really had the personnel to go empty the way that they like. Like Deshaun Watson is a very, very good quarterback out of empty. And when you just don't have – like when you're just kind of killed in personnel, you can't really do that. Um, and so I think that was a big problem for them too. And another thing that the Colts do, um, and you especially saw it in their game uh, this past weekend, even though they lost, uh, they blitz with Kenny Moore very, very well. Like, that dude is disgusting, and he was a problem for the Texans. Um, he was a problem pretty much, like, throughout the whole second half of the season. He was really good at blitzing for them, and I think that was part of their problem was they didn't really know how to account for that either. So how does Deshaun get better pre-snap and – in diagnosing the defense because it seems to be an issue since the Browns game you know prior to that nobody was really sending corner and safety blitzes and then Greg Williams dials it up and basically puts out the blueprint on how to make Deshaun um god why I don't know why I'm drawing a blank on the word but basically just rattled and then you started to see it we saw it saw it the following week against the Colts we saw, and then we just we saw it against the Jets, and now we saw it in the playoffs. Like, how can you get better at that? And is that something that you either have or you don't have, or is it something you could learn? Uh, I think it's something he can learn. Uh, I'm gonna reference something that uh, I'm sure you guys follow him, Justice Mosqueda. He had talked about this uh, with Deshaun Watson. He was actually coming out of college. There was an example where. He had, I think, double slants to his left, and he had uh, Mike Williams to the outside, and I'm just going to assume it was Hunter Renfer on the inside because he's been there forever, and he was probably in the slot. Um, and what whoever the defense was had blitzed uh, from that side, and if you're blitzing from a double slant side, you throw the inside every time. 
uh, because obviously that spot is being vacated. Um, but Watson sometimes would just throw to Williams anyway, even though it was the farther throw and it wasn't necessarily the right one because there wouldn't be as much room for the receiver uh, to run. Because if you're throwing to the inside guy with a linebacker had just blitzed from, that guy has so much room to make a catch and run. Um, but Watson would just throw to Williams. So I think part of it is that Watson kind of has a tendency to just stick to targeting his favorite guys. And obviously with Hopkins, that works out a lot of the time. But sometimes Watson will get some sort of idea like that in his head and then just not really take into account what might happen if something goes wrong or something changes post-snap. Um, and I think that's something he probably just has to take better account of is it's not uh, – I think his problem is a little bit that he just assumes things are going to go the right way, and if it doesn't, he'll figure it out with his legs. Um, and he's so good at seeing on the move. He's so good at throwing on the move, and he's so good at typically targeting Hopkins and making it work that – it doesn't hurt him all the time, but you see in games like that one and um, like with the Williams one that it just sometimes it can be a problem. And if defenses are going to get better at doing that to him, he has to be able to respond. Sure. Yeah. Uh, John, you got anything? Where are you at? I'm still here. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> what was your what was your opinion on the tight end usage? Do you think that these two Titans pretty much just what's your opinion on them and with why Watson wasn't using them? Um, I mean, to be honest, I don't think they're very talented, um, especially oh. like Griffin. <laughs> Jordan Thomas, I think is interesting. Um, and he, he might be fine, but I don't, I don't know if that ever wants to be like your, your true number one. And then Ryan Griffin, I just don't think he does anything for you, like beyond about 10 yards. Um, and, and that was another problem that they had is like, you know, like we were talking about earlier, when you don't have the personnel to stretch the field and a linebacker knows he can just sit on Ryan Griffin what are you going to do? Um, Jordan Thomas, I think, is a little bit more athletic, and they could do some more interesting stuff with trying to work him on the seam, trying to do some of those, like, tight end pop passes that you've seen from, like, Hugh Jackson in the past and stuff like that. Um, and Baker Mayfield did those a lot at, like, Oklahoma. I think some of those types of stuff could work with him a lot. Or even um, – oh, what's the concept called? I think it's called, like, Arrow or something like that, where you basically are, are running arc read, except that guy can just – the, the tight end that comes across in arc read can just kind of, you know, split out into the flat and you can just throw him that just like really simple stuff like that to get him the ball, I think would have been nice, but I don't know if so much it's an issue uh, with Watson as it is. They're just not supremely talented. And when there's nothing really to take the pressure off of them, um, when Hopkins gets hurt and there's nobody to stretch the field, I think kind of like I talked about earlier with like Watson just having a bad day, just so many things compound on each other that it just doesn't work for them. Yeah. One of the follow-ups I have on that is throughout the season, when we ran out of wide receiver help, every, the, uh, the call was for uh, Jordan Aikens to move to the slot. That was the most common thing you saw on Twitter. Did you see anything out of Jordan that you thought that, that would actually work? Uh, no, I, I, I don't think so. I mean, no, not particularly. It just doesn't seem like it kind of seems like one of those things that you would just do in an emergency, not something you would ever want to actually have any sort of plan for. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I'm a big Jordan Aikens fan actually. I think I think he has the the talent to be uh, uh obviously like to say like a tight end could be Travis Kelsey would be just blasphemy. <laughs> right, right, right. Right. <laughs> so like I if I was to say anything I would say like he could be like a baby Travis Kelsey. I He's built like him. Um, mm -hmm. He has the speed. Like when you have a tight end that 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 runs a four, I think it was like a four four two or something like that. Um, I mean that's that's a weapon, and he has great hands. Um, it, I just think it's. I think the tight end usage was mostly tied up to the fact that a lot of times they were in max protect. And yeah, that too. It's very hard for you to be able to throw to your tight ends when they're having to stay back and block as much. And when was the last time O'Brien like really fully used a tight end like that heavily, not outside of when they were throwing like super short to Ryan Griffin like a couple years ago? Like there was a point in the uh, in time where the offense was like super tight and heavy, but it was all short stuff. Like when was the last time uh, O'Brien has actually used a tight end like consistently like somebody would use Kelsey or something like that? Never. It's just not happened. Well, and obviously, that... with those were young tight ends, and so it's kind of hard to do that with rookie tight ends. Well, there was the stretch before uh, Fedorowicz, um pretty much got his head knocked off. 
that they were right but that was so long ago too yeah that was two years ago yeah right um and then of course yeah i mean that's the only time he's done it with the texans when he when he was with the patriots i believe that gronk and hernandez both had over 100 her but that was that's a that's also like yeah that's That's like hall of fame (laughs) yeah again well you i could i i think i could have made a decent offense around this too (laughs) well it goes back to what we were talking about earlier it's like you the patriots can scout so right so they can give you good players and then you just get to go have fun with them yeah what were your thoughts on the defense for the season i mean we so a little backstory so obviously the three are merciless watt and Clowney. And given the fact that Merciless was dropped into coverage so much, not used to rush the passer, he only had four sacks. But when you look at the stats and when he was used to to rush the passer, he was just a little bit, a little less than um, JJ and and Clowney when it came to production as a pass rusher. Um, But when you think about Merciless prior to this season, you know, the three on the field has always been the dream of the Texans. And finally, you had a season where all three were healthy and the utilization of Merciless just was not not up to par. And a lot of Texans fans are basically wondering now, like, okay, well, if we're not going to use him and we're going to switch to a base 4-3 look most of the time, you don't have the personnel to properly run a 4-3 the way that you would like to. You don't have an Anthony Barr on the outside. You know, you're, you're, you don't have coverage outside linebackers. And so you put Whitney, who's never done that his entire career, and the season that happens, he's not productive, and everybody thinks that he's trash. When you actually watch the film, it's not the case. I mean, what do you think of the defense as a whole? And then do you think – this is kind of a two-part question, I guess. Do you think that there's a trade market for Whitney Merciless? Uh, there should be. I mean, pr- uh, e- even guys who can give you – seven, eight sacks, like, that's valuable. Like, some team will want that if you put that on the market. I mean, God, uh, Dante Fowler just went for, what, a third-round pick or something? Yeah, and he's If trash. he can go for a third, like, Whitney Merciless goes at least for a third. Um, especially, you know, like you said, like, he wasn't rushing the passers much this year. If you, if you can sell someone on, like, hey, if you just use him as a pass rusher, he's, he's going to produce you because uh, Merciless has been very good in the past. I think with the defense, the front is obviously very good. They have guys um, – in the middle, in the interior, um, that are nice. A lot of them are just like random UDFAs and late round draft picks and stuff. And then obviously you have JJ Watt and Clowney, but they need to like retool the secondary entirely. I think um, I almost got it confused with Eric Reed, Justin Reed. I think he's fantastic. Like I thought this rookie safety class as a whole was was awesome. Um, I mean, you obviously had guys like Minka, uh, Derwin, uh, Ronnie Harrison. Uh, who was the guy that is playing for the Bengals? Jesse Bates. Like there were just safeties all across the board and Reed was one of them. I thought he was fantastic this year. Um, obviously had a couple of rookie moments, but I think in terms of a, um, a day two draft pick, like he was about as good of a, a safety as you could hope for. Um, but outside of that, I think they had a lot of problems like matching up the way that they wanted to. Um, I think Kareem Jackson actually was fine, but kind of outside of him, it's like it was Jackson and Reed playing well, and a lot of everything else is, like, super inconsistent. Um, and they didn't really have anybody that I thought could match up um, with bigs. Like, you look at um, the Eagles game. Like, they were just splitting out Ertz and Goddard, and those two were just, like, styling on them however they wanted to do, like, running up the seam, um, just beating them in coverage, like, beating them on outs, and, so, like, it didn't really matter. And so I think the fact that they don't really have anything that can match up with that I think is a problem for them. Uh, their linebacking core is... I think it's good, but it's they they also just occupy a weird spot. Like Zach Cunningham is uh, a very imperfect player. I loved him coming out of college, um, and he's definitely gotten better. But he still has moments where he's just not tackling right, um, or he can kind of get lost in coverage, um, which was a lot of the same problems that Telvin Smith had. And I'm hoping he can kind of take that same career arc. Um, but I, I definitely don't think they're pro- they're the problem. Like I said, I think the secondary is is mostly the problem for them. Yeah, the secondary is definitely one of the bigger issues for the team. Um, I want to get your uh, opinion on Tyron Matthew right now. Um, you know, the big free agent signing, signs the one-year $7 million deal. Everybody is super stoked. We got the Honey Badger. And I was very excited, too, because, I, I mean, he was one of my favorite players at college. Um, went to LSU, like, just 
it's just the way it works. And this season, in my opinion, I, I thought Honey Badger had maybe an average season. And right now, a lot of the the talk is, do you sign Kareem Jackson long-term to play safety only, which is where Kareem thrived all year? Or do you let him walk and you sign Honey Badger and let him play safety all year? Um, I'm actually in the Kareem Jackson camp. I know he's 31 and he's like five years uh, older, but when you make that, when you make that, uh, when you convert to safety from corner, it tends to extend your career. We've seen it with Rod Woodson. We've seen it with Charles Woodson. Um, we've seen it. God, there's another huge one that for some reason I just can't think about. He had like five Pro Bowl career or years after he he converted. But what are your thoughts on 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 Honey Badger as the season went, and then also if you were GM, you were Brian Gaines right now. Would it be Kareem Jackson or Honey Badger that you tie to that that opposite of uh, Justin Reed? Uh, I would probably lean with Jackson. Uh, I think the Tyron Matthew thing was a worthwhile experiment. I think to just try to see where he was at after all those injuries, try to see if you could get that versatile piece in your defense that kind of unlocks everything else. Um, I think it made a lot of sense in theory. And I think if you you know went back a year from now and asked, you know, do you want to do this again? Do you want to try this gamble again? I think you'd do it. Um, just to see if you could get that high in production out of him again. But, you know, like I, I, I pretty much agree with you that he probably wasn't anything more than average. Um, and if the market is, if the market for him is going to call for more than that, uh, for more than whatever average safety pay is, you, you don't really want to do that. I think you would probably be better off leaning on someone with, uh, like Jackson, who's been there forever. Um, like you said, has all the tools, I think, to convert to safety, like, totally fine he's an excellent tackler like really one of the best corner tacklers i've ever seen he's insane i mean he'll just he and he's always been that way like he's always um you know like corners don't really get known for being uh great hitters or great tacklers uh but when you watch him you know you know who it is um and kareem jackson is, has been that guy forever and so um i think that in particular is going to make him a great safety and he's always been very smart in coverage so i think that'll help him out too um yeah i pretty much agree with you i think if it only if, if it comes down to an either or situation, I would probably lean Jackson. Yeah, me and John are hoping that Bruce Arians uh, pays Honey Badger way too much money to come <laughs> to Tampa Bay because that would pretty much alleviate us having to worry about who's going to be signed. And Bruce is so loyal to his players that he, he's bringing everyone else there with him. Right, so. that's what I'm saying. I mean, that's the, Bruce Arians is probably the most loyal coach I've ever met, and he's a great coach. I love Bruce Arians. I think he's going to do extremely well for Jameis. And if that means bringing the Honey Badger over there, I'm, I'm totally fine with it. I love his personality, right? Like, I love his on-field uh, personality. I love the Twitter Honey Badger that will go at somebody from Football Outsider and tell him he's a fucking joke. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm all for that. Like, that's great, you know? And we, we've we never had that in Houston, so I think a lot of the fans are buying into the hype that, t- that Honey Badger brings with his name. And when you turn on the film, it's just a completely different it's a it's it's completely different. And the Colts game shows it a ton. He's a bad tackler. He's not very good at getting angles anymore. When it comes to moving laterally, it's the speed isn't where it was. And if it hasn't come back yet, it's not gonna come back at all. Um so yeah, I I, I just think Cream Jackson would be a better move. But um all right. I think the biggest topic right now, John, and I, I'm pretty sure you're gonna nod with this, is uh the future of Jadavian Clowney. Now John is a Gamecock, so he has bias. Um, I started the season originally on the trade Clowney. Um, He's always hurt. He's an inconsistent player. And then I really started to watch the film instead of, like, basing my opinion on the past. And when you turn on the film for JD, it's it's a completely different – the guy – he may not put up numbers that Mac and Donald put up, but he is literally at that tier of a player. And when a whole team has to game plan for one defensive player, which is what they do, you you keep that guy around. So, what are your thoughts on Jadavian Clowney? You know, as a as a player, and and where do you what do you think happens with him moving forward as far as being in the Texans jersey? Um, I mean, I I think they should pretty much do whatever they can to keep him. Um, I, I think. I honestly think one of his hallmarks is he's like an unbelievable run defender. Like he is just a vortex if you run at him. Um, and obviously, you know, running's not as important as passing and he doesn't put up the sack numbers, but 
Um, he's just so good at run defense. He can follow from behind. If you try to run at him, he's going to kill whoever your tight end is. Um, and he's a very good tackler. Um, so I think that's a good baseline for him. But I think, you know, like you said, he doesn't put up the sack numbers or anything, but or at least not of the quality of like Lamac or, you know, guys like that. But he consistently is is crushing the pocket inward. Um, and, and quarterbacks don't like to get uh, confined into the pocket. Most of them don't. There are some that are very good at um, making Houdini plays like Philip Rivers will sometimes just he'll it, it Philip Rivers will just get like consumed by everybody and the ball will fly out 15 yards and he'll complete a pass. So you have it's because of that weird ass release that he has. It just, it, it's just it's the like weirdest release sometimes. I've ever seen. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. So um, against some quarterbacks, obviously it doesn't matter as much, but uh, you know, Clowney consistently, I think um, generates pressure for them. And I think he takes so much of, I don't think he necessarily takes pressure off of Watt because I think they they both, you know, draw up plenty of double teams and stuff. But I think it just makes it so that since there is also somebody else that has to attract some of the pressure on some plays, when Watt gets his opportunities, he's able to close. Um, and, and the same goes for when they're able to blitz guys. It makes it easier for them to blitz and kind of do some interesting things up front. So, like you said, I think he's super important to everything that they do, even if, you know, it it he's similar – in tier almost to like Ryan Kerrigan where he's not quite the elite guys, but he's consistently putting up like eight, nine, 10, 11 sacks. And he's so important to what they do. Um, I think Clowney's probably a little bit better than that, but that same type of type of player. Yeah. John, why don't you uh, kind of uh, take that Clowney and, and, and put it where, where you want it? Because I know for you, you, you believe that Clowney's a selfless player he's used to pretty much sacrifice the rest of the defense. And then they use him as a decoy to free up Covington at times. And, and Clowney and Merck should be merciless, but it's never merciless this season, at least. Um, why don't you kind of expand on that and, and, and see what Derek's thoughts are or, or don't you have to hit the unmute button to talk. I don't know if you're used to this yet or not. You know, it's only been two I years. Be, yeah. Only two years. Hey, we used to just share a mic. So That's we're actually, true. Up in the world. That's true. I, the value I see, with Clowney is, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but he's probably one of the best in the league at being either a three, four defensive end or a four, three outside linebacker. Oh, absolutely. You can play him whatever you want him to be. Right. And I think that that's something that's just not truly appreciated as much as it can, because he can do the roles and responsibilities of both positions. Not maybe not necessarily at an elite level, but at an above average level to to a Pro Bowl level, but being able to do it from two positions is what makes him elite. Yeah. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. And I think the NFL has come to a point where, like, the difference between 3-4 and 4-3 is not as pronounced as it used to be, but I think it still matters. Like, differences still do matter. And when a player like Clowney gives you so much fluidity to where it literally doesn't matter what you do around him, he will make it work, Um, and he can still be the cornerstone of your defense. Um, like you said, it he, he might not be elite at any one thing, but the fact that he's so consistently good no matter the environment, no matter the play call, um, no matter what the defensive structure is, the fact that he's very, very good regardless of any of those things, I think kind of like you said, makes him elite because he, he's he's like he's just so malleable. It doesn't matter what you do around him, he's he's very good. Yeah. Yeah, I think with uh I think with Clowney it's one of those things that like as a fan um, you see the penalties. I think he, I think he leads the league in penalties for a defensive lineman and outside linebacker. Uh, you see the play against Philadelphia where he jumps off sides and basically stops the chance of a comeback where we could have clinched a bye. Uh, I think you add those up and it's like, okay, well, why is this guy on the team? And then when you put it on the film, it's like a completely different story. Let's, let's flip the coin or flip, flip to another side though. So we can give the other, our, our listeners, the uh, other perspective. A lot of people want to franchise and trade Clowney. Why I don't know that I guess because <laughs> Khalil did it, so therefore JD can do it. But say that is an option. What would you, what would you say the market is for a player like Clowney? Um. Well, what exactly did Oakland get for Mac? Like, they, did they get two firsts? They got two firsts and a uh, second. And then they swapped like a third, I believe. Uh, I don't think they we can get that for Clowney. No, you wouldn't get quite that. 
Um, but I think something like a, a first, second, and third. So it'd basically be the Mac deal. Um, minus the first. Minus the first, which would still be pretty good. Um, like if your hand had to be forced, and that, that was what they ended up doing, where they had to trade Clowney or something like that. Um, like he wanted out of his contract or just wasn't working money-wise. Um, that That's probably, I think, what they could get for them. Like I think they could get three top 75 picks for him pretty easily. Um, just because he's he's very clearly a player who can get you like eight sacks or something like that, and he can play in any defense. So it's not like the market is closed to a certain amount of teams. It, it doesn't really matter what team he can go to. So, um, I mean, I, I'm with you, though. I I don't see why they would let him go um, because second to Watt, he's just so important to what they do. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think with, with Clowney, if you were to – just line him up at defensive end only and ask him to go after the quarterback, I think he would produce on the same level as the Von Miller's Khalil Max of the world. I think if his sole responsibility was to stop the run towards his side and rush the passer, I think he would get exactly what those players are given, giving. But given his responsibilities on the defense, that's just not the case. And the fact that we haven't heard a peep out of Clowney or his camp saying, hey, we're not using him properly, seems to me that makes me think that he's fine with his role and he likes being here. Or else in this era of social media, you would hear that he's not happy. And we just haven't heard that. Am I right, John? I mean, I know we originally, when they moved him to defensive end, he said that he preferred to not play it. But ever since that was three years ago. Ever since then, we haven't heard a peep out of him. Well, there's a couple of reasons for that. They don't want to, he doesn't want to get pigeonholed at linebacker because then he makes less money right he wants to keep it kind of um up in the air as to what position he played and it's also one of those things like we're just kind of about talking about he doesn't want to lessen his value by saying i'm only a defensive end or i'm only an outside linebacker it's one of those things the bears honestly did overpay khalil mack but they saw him as kind of like a a keystone piece that would take their defense to the next level they already had everything they had their franchise quarterback. This is the time to kind of push. So that's why they paid what they did for Kilimak. In a sane market, that usually won't happen. And it's still even arguable what they paid wasn't overpaying. Um, and I think Clowney kind of realizes that. But if he declares, I'm only a outside linebacker in the, in the mold of Khalil Mack, I think that he even sees, t- sees it himself that teams that would lessen the amount of teams that could, would go after him if something did happen, that he had a market, whether or not being traded or if he was a free agent. Sure. Yeah, agreed. Um, all right, I'm going to throw a, a scenario out at you, Derek, and I want – you're the GM of the Arizona Cardinals. Patrick Peterson's my favorite cornerback, but right now I, I can't I can't have my favorite cornerback hat on because I'm the GM of the Texans. If I sent you a second and Whitney Merciless – or may, no, let's take that back. You didn't hear that because then you'll hear the highest okay. offer. I can't do okay. that. Uh, a third and Whitney Merciless for Patrick Peterson. Is that a deal that you would do? Uh, I mean, considering where the team is at. Yeah. Right. Cause they're not going to be good next year. Like no matter what they do, they won't be good next year. I mean, they might win a game or two more than they did. It's a tough division too. Right. And it's a, it's a terrible division if you're trying to be good. Cause even, you know, the, the third worst team in there is going to be the 49ers and they're going to get Garoppolo back and they're probably close to a 10 win team if they weren't in that division. Um, and so, yeah, you're already the worst team in the division. Peterson is, uh, I mean, he's not old, old, but he's not as young as, you know, when you 29, I think, right. He's, he's, he's getting closer to his peak than, like, by the time this team is good again, he's going to kind of be at the point where you don't want to pay him. So, like, why are like why would you hold on to him? I think a third and a pass rusher like Whitney Merciless is uh, probably fair because a third-round pick is probably a decent pick where they can get, uh, whether it's another offensive lineman for Rosen, uh, a receiver, um, you know, maybe try to retool their secondary uh, with a younger player than Peterson, something like that. So... I think a third and merciless is is probably fair, especially considering that front is like desolate outside of Chandler Jones. Chandler Jones is an amazing player. He's he's a beast. Talks he's about. Awesome. Nobody talks yeah. about Chandler Jones, and it's because his Cardinals suck. Um, <laughs> yeah. No. Okay. So okay. So you would accept the trade? I I, I think there's I think there's a um, a market for merciless, and I definitely think that the Cardinals will. I there was already talks about it 
in the regular during the regular season before the trade deadline that he was on the market. I think now it would be good, especially given the Texans' issues in secondary. It's not necessarily corners that can play zone, but it's corners that can play zone and man and can also press and recover. And Patrick Peterson's probably one of the best corners to do that, honestly. He's fast. He's a technician at the position. Um, he, he can recover. Um, so yeah, I just, I, I keep hoping that that happens. So I thought if I talked about it with a football outsider that maybe, maybe it would get out there and then people would start to talk and then maybe the GM of the Cardinals would see it. So, um, <laughs> maybe somebody would pick up on it. Right. Right. Um, all right. So what, ex- what, what should our expectations be for Deshaun next season? Um, obviously let's, let's assume that the offensive line gets fixed. I mean, we have the picks to fix it. We have a first, two seconds. We can fix the offensive line with one or two of those and also address the, the secondary. Um, let's say that the offensive line is above average because that's probably the only step it could actually go towards. It couldn't go towards like Pittsburgh or anything like that in one season, even though the Colts just did it and then fired their offensive line coach like a fucking idiot. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, so, I mean, what should we expect from Deshaun moving forward? Um, cause you said he's young. You, you, you love him. I mean, right. I you, think you're a huge fan. Yeah. I think he's fantastic. I think, um, I think it, it might be contrary to the way O'Brien wants to conduct his offense. Um, because you've seen it, it's been a very slow progression for him to like really understand and know how to run a like more spread offense. Cause he comes from like that Belichick tree where they're kind of cool just playing like 12, 22 personnel, um, and it's a different style of football, but Deshaun Watson wants to play an empty. He wants to play out of 10. He wants to play out of pistol. Um, he wants to do a lot of those types of things. Um, and you can still have your seven man protection um, deep shots inter- intertwined in there just fine um, and still go to like a lot of those more spread looks. So I think they need to tool the receiver core to where it's a little bit more fit for that. And I think the way that they drafted athletic tight ends, if those guys can develop better, um will be helpful for that um I do think the offensive line getting above average would be quite a big step I think even if it got to just average though it'd be fine um because Deshaun Watson is good enough as a scrambler he's actually good enough under pressure typically um where even just an average offensive line I think would give him so much more comfort um and buy him a lot more time in terms of looking over the intermediates areas of the field and I think that's why the offense can look so weird at times where it's like okay, we either have to get it out quick out of like empty or just like quick passes, you know, short rollouts and stuff like that. Or we have to go seven man and just throw it deep. It was really hard for them to work that in between area because with those, you kind of have to go five, six man protections and they just were not equipped for that at all. So I think if they can get equipped for that more, I think you'll see Watson be able to work that area a little bit more. Um, Obviously that's, that's to be seen, but I think that, that would be the road to getting Watson where he needs to be. And then, you know, obviously whether he gets there is, is kind of up to him, but I would trust him to do it. So what would you say Deshaun's ceiling is? There's some doubt uh, right now, just to be honest with you. There's, there's definitely some doubt. He put some doubt into my head as well in this Colts game. I, I still think he's a superior talent. I still think that he has the skill set to lead this team. I think the team right now, outside of the offensive line and secondary, which they can fix in the offseason, has the talent to make a run deep and, and could potentially win. But when you see the things that you saw in the Colts game, it, it puts a little fear in me. It, and, and and John's a Mahomes guy. A Mahomes guy. He, he swore that we had to take Mahomes um, before the draft. And right now he's looking right, which bothers me a lot um, <laughs> because I'm not. Um but on top of that, like when you think about what Mahomes has, like if you take those guys away and then you take away Andy Reid, you put Mahomes in this offense, I almost guarantee that you're getting the exact same performance that you're getting from Deshaun Watson. But I mean, what like can Deshaun lead us? Do you like what is like highest ceiling for Deshaun would be what? Um the highest. So I think I think at the very highest, he won't even be Russell Wilson. But the thing is, you know, Russell Wilson, you could argue, is the fourth best quarterback in the league. So if you put him as a slightly worse version of that, you're think you're sitting around seventh, eighth, maybe. And honestly, if we look at Tony Romo's career, that's about the area that he sat in. And even sometimes higher, hitting like his MVP stride where you just have a great season like that. So I think 
somewhere like just short of Russell Wilson is, is probably his peak because they play very similar styles of football and Wilson is just kind of flat out more talented. Um, he just has an insane arm that Watson doesn't quite have. Um, and I think he's probably a little bit more athletic. Um, that That's probably what I would put Watson's ceiling at. I don't think he's quite there yet, but I think he's closer than you would expect a year two guy to be, which is very good for them. So, yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Um, he, he's shown it. Now, if you had to, you're going to make a lot of Texans fans uh, happy with this answer because I, I know your answer already, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Uh, there's a little battle between Dallas and Houston. We hate Dallas. I, I can't stand Dallas. Like, when I go to their fucking airport, I just want to, like, do <laughs> terrible things. Um, would you take Dak or Deshaun? Oh, I mean, I'm a Dak, like, supporter, but it's like Deshaun is – I feel like that's an easy answer is okay. Deshaun. Cool. Um, cool. And, and like I said, I probably defend Dak Prescott more uh, than most and probably more than he deserves in a lot of respects. But I think Deshaun Watson is a pretty easy answer there. Yeah, I think I, you know, I've never liked the Cowboys. I, I literally despise them more than most things in life. But um, the Rams game actually showed me more about Dak than I expected to see. I think – I think Dak was really freaking good in that Rams game. I think a lot of what happened was Scott Linehan running the offense the way that he did, knowing that Ezekiel wasn't getting it done on the ground and knowing Dak's like stature and how big he is, um, he could take those runs and he could have he could have done so much more but wasn't given the opportunity to. And I think Dak actually showed me a lot. It really hurts me to say it, but I think Dak actually could be a real good quarterback in this league. I don't think he's going to sit back in the in the pocket and and throw forty nine passes, and you if he does, you're probably not going to win a game. But I when I watched the Rams game, I really thought that Dak showed that he he could really win, but he needs the right things around him and he needs the right offensive coordinator. Right. I mean, and the thing is, that's true of all but you know at most ten quarterbacks. And so if you're if you're not one of those 10 quarterbacks or whatever, and maybe not even that many that can truly carry an offense, you need a lot around you. Um, and if you can show that you can carry that uh, and you can work with all that around you, I mean, we saw it with Dak in 2016. Um, he's proven he can at least make an offense as good as whatever the talent is. And I think part of even what you saw in the Rams game, like Dak was very good throwing outside. I thought he did mostly a good job of, making reads except for whatever it was he was trying to throw that quick out and almost got pick six that was terrible but outside of that I thought he did a good job really the last piece that the Cowboys offense needs to figure out is they just don't have a middle of field threat like I don't think their tight ends are very good and their receiver core just isn't set up to like run you know 15 yards over the middle the way Des Bryant had used to been so I think if they could um, fix the receiving core in that respect a little bit I think they would actually be in a really good spot for Dak to kind of unlock himself again yeah, uh, we're we're gonna have to get out of the Cowboys talk because I'm, I'm <laughs> they're they're gonna they're gonna end up like they're gonna stop listening right now. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, like given given the Texans and, and given Bill O'Brien, a lot of talk right now around like just Houston in general is the fact that they would like to see O'Brien hire an offensive coordinator. Uh, you know, actually, Bill O'Brien has I think what was it, John, the fourth least amount of. Uh, coaches on his coaching staff in, in the NFL. Is that right? That's correct. Um, which, when you look at the other three teams outside of Harbaugh, um, they're all bottom-tier teams. Do you think that an offensive Belich- coordinator... Outside of Belichick. Or Belichick, oh. I'm sorry. Belichick, yeah. How could I forget? Um, outside, of, you know, outside of that part of it, do you think that an offensive coordinator could come in and, and really help? Or do you think that Bill O'Brien is pretty much set in his ways, and he's going to run the offense the way he wants. So even if we brought in an OC, the offense is going to be Bill O'Brien's offense. Um, and I is there anything wrong with Bill O'Brien's offense? Uh, it's not great. Kind of like we talked about earlier in the show, he's basically just whatever the talent is, which, you know, plenty of coaches are worse, so that's not terrible. Um, I think there would be value in bringing in an offensive coordinator, even if they don't end up calling plays. Because you've seen him in, uh, you know, with some other head coaches, like I think Sean McVay, um, like when LaFleur was there and stuff, like he wasn't calling plays or anything, but he was just there as another guy to to be in the room. And Shanahan, um, I actually know Shanahan does it's that's a bad example, um, but he's like a wizard. So I don't know. I think there's value in having, even if it's just like a run game coordinator and a pass game coordinator, 
um, versus like a true offensive coordinator. I think there's value in getting more, basically just more like brains into the room. I think there's always value in that, especially bringing in someone that's completely different. Like I think um, like when the Cardinals were looking at a number of different guys to be their offensive coordinator, it was all guys that were completely different from Cliff Kingsbury, which even if some of them weren't good, like Steve Sarkeesian, just to have like the completely different style of offense, I think would have been valuable to have like just to kind of create that, you know, brain center of, of trying to come up with different concepts and how to make things work. So I think there would be value in bringing in another person. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Just to follow up on that, that's pretty much what the Eagles did last year with Frank Reich. He was him and uh, Peterson's coaching philosophy is very, very different, but by bringing them in and even though Peterson still continued to call the plays, Reich was able to influence and opened up their eyes to a lot more concepts otherwise. Um, I'm pretty much in agreement. I think that they need another offensive coordinator to help with install, if nothing else, and to just kind of push Bill O'Brien to kind of look at things a little bit differently. So I completely agree. Um, I'm going to ask you to put your, I guess, like fantasy cap on. If you were, if Bill, if uh, Brian Gain called you up today and he said, hey, Derek, who do you think we should target in free agency? Who would you target to kind of help out Deshaun Watson? Uh, who even is available? I, let me let me. Bobby Massey, um, Trent Brown from the Patriots, who scares the shit out of me because anytime, anytime a Patriots out, uh, offensive tackle leaves, it's just never good. Uh, and he was, I think. That's- any repl- that's like baltimore defenders never sign a baltimore defender when they leave exactly like you'll you'll mess up you absolutely will mess up yeah exactly <laughs> um and, and then like when you look at it like i think trent brown took over for their starting tackle who got hurt their rookie that they drafted right um i forgot his name they took him in the first oh, round McGlinchey? yeah mcglinchy so yeah it's like okay so you insert trent brown and obviously they think nothing of him if they took a player to start over him um it's like so. Why would you make that guy the highest paid tackle in, in the in the league? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, I'm scrolling through it now. A lot of these names just either just don't interest me, or they just don't make a lot of sense for the Texans. Like um, Dante Moncrief, for example. Like, what are you getting out of him that you're not getting out of Will Fuller? Um, so I think that's an example. Health. Who? Health. Oh, I guess <laughs> I guess health. I mean, well, Fuller's been hurt every single year. Yeah, I guess you're getting 16 games. But, I, uh, I would sign Tyler Lockett. Didn't isn't he a free agent? Uh, he might be. Let me. I could have sworn I saw that he was a free agent, and uh, that's probably like old though. I think he might have signed an extension. Maybe not. He might have re-signed. Or yeah, something I like think that. he did sign an extension. Um, Roger Saffold from the Rams, who actually is very very good. Um. He's been very good there for a long time, even under those Jeff Fisher teams um, that were terrible. He was like one of the lone bright spots. So I think if they wanted to bring in a guard, um, I like he Saffold. could be a good one. Yeah, Saffold's very good. Um, and he's like a tone setter. I know that's like a totally cliche thing, but uh, Saffold really is mean, man. Like he will just punk people. Um, even if you just watch the game, uh, the Cowboys game that the Rams just played, like some of the hits he was putting on like Jalen Smith and uh, Leighton Vander Esch were just just rude man like that's the type of thing like you just want to play next to that guy um but um I, like i said i'm kind of scrolling through the list here of free agents and nothing really moves the needle either in terms of like being a massive upgrade for them or bringing something different so um i think their i think their priority really needs to be in the draft in terms of like bringing guys in on the offensive line because i think in general the offensive line market uh, in terms of guys that get let go is usually very slim. Like every now and then you get like Andrew Norwell gets on the market, but usually guys that good um, are either too old where teams are scared to sign them or just have massive health risks. Like like the Rams getting Andrew Whitworth was such like a, they're just lucky that he was able to play so well, so old. Yeah. Well, I guess I should follow that up. If, or actually what I should have started with. If you're, assistant to the gm of the texans where who what positions would you be targeting and would you be targeting them through the draft through free agency so as for example like we were just talking about offensive line i guess typically with offensive offensive line you're going to target those in the in the draft so but for other positions is there like mid-tier free agencies that you would 
or is there certain guys in the draft that you would just hope and pray fail to the Texans? Um, I definitely think you want to target offensive line in the draft. And the main reason is that that's probably where you're going to get the best discount. Like trying to sign, like if you're going to sign a free agent um, guard or whatever, like Saffold, like Saffold is going to be a lot more expensive than even taking whatever a first round rookie is. He's probably going to be more expensive than that. Um, whereas if you're getting a mid-tier receiver, somebody like a Jermaine Curse or something, um, it's it's not that much relative to like the entire cap space of signing somebody like Curse, um, whereas it would be you know signing a guard or something like that. So I think it probably makes more sense for them to try to allocate their resources um, up front in terms of the draft and then kind of fill in the holes elsewhere through free agency. And I would say that that's true of most teams. Is there any offensive lineman that you really like in the draft for the Texans? Um, I actually have not really got to offensive lineman in the draft so far. I've pretty much only uh, gotten to a few quarterbacks. So, Yeah, no worries. Not very well, many actually, quarterbacks worth taking. Yeah. God, no. There's uh, maybe two at best. <laughs> uh, would you say Kyler Murray's worth taking uh, with the first overall pick? Um, I actually haven't charted him yet because he was such a late declaration. Um, it seems like he has enough of the tools there and like, it's weird. Cause I, I might get, I might get hated on this cause we've done this with other quarterbacks in the past, but like Kyler Murray is actually so short that it's really going to matter. And not in terms of like, Oh, he can't see over his offensive lineman like that. I don't think is actually ever the worry with short quarterbacks. It's that when you're facing interior pressure, if you're a taller quarterback, you always have the option to have a higher release and you can just throw over the top of them and kind of take a shot in the chest. It's part of why Tom Brady is so good because he can just do that consistently. Um, the problem when you're Kyler Murray is you, you physically cannot do that. Like your, whatever your highest arm slot is from five, nine or whatever, a defender is not going to have any issues like disrupting that. And that's always going to be a big problem for you where you're either going to have to throw from a clean pocket or you're going to have to bail if there's interior pressure. Um, and even guys that are like, you know, six foot, six one kind of even have problems with that. So if he's even shorter, like you have to be so, so good at pocket manipulation that uh, it, it's really hard for it to work out for you. So I, I, like I said, I haven't seen enough of Murray yet, but I am a little skeptical just on like a, on the surface level. Well, you said maybe two quarterbacks are worth taking. Who are the two quarterbacks? Um, the other would be Haskins. Um, so I'm, I'm assuming I'm going to like Murray enough to where I would, take him at some point in the first round just because it seems like he has enough of the tools um but we'll see the the only one i think for sure is, is worth a first round pick is haskins um not because i think he's he's not fantastic i don't think he's even as good as a lot of the other top quarterbacks that have come out recently um but i think there's a very clear way you can win around haskins um in terms of throwing a lot of like crossers um throwing mesh um being able to basically set up an offense that kind of runs itself, kind of like what Pat Shermer wants to do in, in New York, where he's um, kind of letting his quarterback win pre-snap and then just win with yards after the catch, that type of deal. So I, I think you could very easily craft an offense for him that way. Interesting. Um, I think that uh, – does anybody find it quite funny that Jacksonville brought in Mike McCoy as their offensive coordinator? I, I, I was thinking about this earlier, like – you bring in Mike McCoy and you draft a rookie quarterback. You fire a midseason. You go to Jacksonville where they're probably going to draft a rookie quarterback and have to insert him in midseason. And guess what? I would assume that the outcome is likely to be the same because Mike McCoy's offense is so aged. And I just I don't know I found it weird I just I just saw that he he signed with uh, Jacksonville obviously we don't we're not a big fan of the Glitter Kitties um, being in the same division but um, and it's not like Jacksonville's offense is talented enough to make up for him being bad exactly so like I mean like you said it's basically going to be the same thing all over again which is so crazy to me that that would be something that they do it's almost like Doug Marone hired him specifically to be the fall guy already. Like mm -hmm. you don't typically see fall guys hired in uh, in January, but for us to be able to point the finger and already say that it's just kind of crazy. All <laughs> right, is, uh, one step ahead. Yeah, uh, was he officially hired? Yeah, he was officially hired today. No, really? Yeah. I, really? Yeah. This is like better than Christmas. You know, they interviewed Gary Kubiak too, which I think would have been an awesome fit for what Gary wants to do in offense. But 
he it would have been a better version of McCoy. <laughs> it it, it would have yeah. worked out so much better given the offensive line that they potentially should have. And then with Leonard Fournette and then TJ Yeldon, those backs fit perfectly for what Gary Kubiak would want to do in Jacksonville. And the fact that they didn't hire him and he went to Minnesota as a offensive coordinator assistant or specialist. And he's going to get, he's going to, Kirk Cousins is going to ball out under Gary Kubiak. And Dalvin Cook is going to have a year. It's so, the perfect offense for those two. It, sure. it is. And and not only that, Gary's real close to Kyle Shanahan, who what worked with Kirk specifically and, and basically made Kirk into the quarterback he is. So it's just it's interesting to see that that's what happened. But all right, Derek, uh, closing in closing, what would be – first of all, can we have you back on after the draft and the free agency so we could talk about what the Texans did? Yeah, of course. We can try to figure out uh, if they did enough to, quote-unquote, save Deshaun Watson. Yeah, we can try to figure out or and retool the secondary, hopefully, like we talked about. Absolutely. Um, well, cool. Well, Derek, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, guys, you can follow Derek on, on Twitter at QB Class. That's Q-B-K-L-A-S-S. He's a great follow on Twitter. Uh, he has the Dan Marino avatar. What's up with the Dan Marino avatar? Where did that come from, by the way? Because I'm seeing um, a lot of L.A. in the background, but... I just, I just love Dan Marino, man. Like, okay. like, you know, every, you know, every kid growing up or whatever, or, you know, when you're in your teens trying to learn more about football or whatever, you kind of go back and look at, you know, watch documentaries or just watch old highlights of players. And for whatever reason, Marino just, he, he fascinates me. So I've always thought he would cool his like 1984 to 1986 stretch. Um, statistically, especially for the time is like, it, it just doesn't even make any sense. Like it's like Drew Brees numbers today, but you know, 30 years ago. Yeah. When, um, it, when it was a run offense first. <laughs> right. When things just like, didn't, it, it just didn't even seem like it was the same sport. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just think he's cool. It's pretty much as all. Uh, he is cool. Maybe he's one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game. So absolutely. Well, well cool. Derek. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you for joining uh, Texans unfiltered and we'll catch you next time. Yeah. Thanks for having me.